You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. Today, we're joined by... As promised, very special guest, Brian Callahan, of course, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Brian, welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. How's it going? Doing great. Good to be here. Excited to get training camp rolling and uh, happy to kick it off here with you guys. I was just telling James on our show last week about how excited I am to get out of hypotheticals and into talking about something that's actually happened, even if it's just training camp practices. Before we get into the the training camp that is forthcoming really quickly we're talking to you new nfl vaccine guidelines have just come out very punitive stuff zach taylor the last time we heard from him was very optimistic about where you guys were going to be in terms of vaccine percentages what are your thoughts on the regulations from the nfl and are the bengals still on track are you guys in good shape yeah so far it seems that way Uh, most of our guys have bought into that uh, we had offered a number of, of opportunities for those guys over the course of the offseason uh, to get vaccinated at Paul Brown Stadium. Uh, so most of, most of our guys took advantage of that. Uh, a handful of them, um, you know, did it in their hometowns where they were over the summer. Uh, so I'm, I'm optimistic that that will be at the at the place we need to be uh, to function as normal. Um, I know all of our, our tier one people are all vaccinated and, and everybody's kind of ready to roll and, and kind of get back to functioning like a, a normal uh, training camp and, and staff and player units would, would normally function. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll get we're at that point uh, by the time we get going. Brian, obviously last off season was abnormal as they come, you know, with, with COVID and the pandemic. And now we're still talking about it with, you know, the vaccine and, and stuff like that. It's still very much a topic, but how normal was this off season compared to not last off season, of course, but just regular off seasons, because it, it feels like we're getting back to normal. And at the same time, uh, our first question was about the vaccine. Uh, it felt pretty normal. Um, I would say it was, it was unique in the sense that um, our, our normal now kind of incorporates all of the digital things that we do. So the Zoom meetings and all that stuff didn't feel uh, abnormal. And we still met, quite a few of us still met in person uh, because there was certain, like we had certain spaces that allowed for certain position groups to be meeting in person because we could, we could use the space accordingly uh, to the protocols. And that part was great. It was just, it was fun to be able to sit in the quarterback meeting room with all the quarterbacks face to face and not have to do it uh, over, over a computer screen. So uh, that part felt great. It felt as close to normal as I remember it, to be honest. Um, it's, there was so much that happened in between uh, a normal off season and, and, and now. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was a lot more productive for us in that, in that regard. I'm sure we're very, very shortly going to talk about one quarterback in particular. But before we dive into the players and the plan for the offense and training camp, I know that you don't get very many vacations in a year as an NFL coach, but I'm under the impression that you've just had one. How was the time off? Did you enjoy some time to relax and recharge? Yeah, it's uh, this time of year is always the, the, the pause button before we get rolling and you know, there really is no, there's no other days off from once training camp starts until the season ends. And so uh, this, this four to five weeks we get from, from June to, to end of July uh, is, is a very, very important time for me and my family. And uh, we had a chance to really relax and enjoy each other and see friends and family that 
honestly, we haven't had a chance to see for, for a year. And so um, that part of it was really nice and really refreshing and relaxing. And so I'm, I'm excited to I'm recharge and ready to go. You said you're excited there a couple of times, and I, I understand there are a ton of reasons why. Can you give us the number one reason why? Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I'm excited every year just because you get to go back to coaching football um, and, and get back on the grass and be with the players. That's the best part. And, uh, but I'm, I'm excited about our team this year. I, I, I love the work our guys put in this offseason. Um, I, I love where, where our guys are at, um, their mindset. Uh, how they're ready to attack this this training camp and get ready for this season. I'm, I'm uh, I have high expectations. I think just like everybody else does uh, of what we're capable of accomplishing. And now now is the time when we actually get to to put the work in for real and and go play football. And speaking of somebody that maybe put in a little bit of extra work, let's just talk about Joe Burrow. Let's get it out of the way. The guy tore his ACL and and did incredible work to participate in OTAs and. It wasn't clear that he was going to do so. There were some hints out there, and James and I were on different pages going into OTAs. Is he going to participate? <laughs> Is he not going to participate? He did. Now training camp around the corner. Can you tell us anything about the plan for Joe in these practices? Are you still in the part of the rehab where we have to protect him from contact and he's not going to be out in the 11-on-11s right away? Uh, I think we'll always, just anytime a player's coming back from injury, uh, you always err on caution early. Um, so we'll we'll be mindful of what's uh, where he's at in the rehab process. I know I'm, I'm excited uh, with all the work that he got to put in, in the spring. I thought that was really beneficial uh, both for him and for our team and our offense uh, to have him on the field and in the huddle and, and actively participating uh, was, was a, a big win for us in the offseason portion. And so in order for him to, to participate, you know, it's been now a couple months since we ended the, the offseason, but it's six weeks since the offseason program ended. Uh, so he's six weeks further along, and uh, I'm I'm really really excited about where he's at. I think he's going to be pretty well good to go when we get going, and and for sure be ready for the first game. And and how we manage him up until that point, uh, obviously we'll, we'll still always be over cautious as opposed to over aggressive when it comes to uh, coming back from an injury. When it comes to the preseason, and obviously he didn't have a preseason last year and uh, was fine, but he wasn't coming back from an injury. Do you go into training camp saying he's not going to play in the preseason? Do you play it by ear depending on how he looks, depending on what he wants? How much is it the player? How much is it Zach, Mike Brown? You know, what what goes into that? Because obviously that's a, a big discussion and a big decision. Yeah, and I think all of those things go into it. You know, I think the the people in charge have, have their opinions on what they would like to see. Um, the player's always going to have their opinion on what they need to feel prepared for a game and ready to play. Um, there is a, there's an element of the preseason. I do think that helps guys at the very least, just get out there and be against another team uh, live with no coaches behind you in a stadium and, and with lights on all those things matter. Um, so in order to, th- their opinion matters in that, in that element of the discussion. And then obviously it's ultimately Zach's decision on, on how he wants to, to implement that. I wouldn't guess that he'd play a ton in the preseason, just, uh, based off of how we've played our starters here in the past over the course of our preseasons. Um, but it's not certainly out of the question that he won't play at all. Um, I think it'll just kind of depend on, on how he progresses in, in, the, in the weeks leading up to, to those games. Um, you know, and he, he may or may not want to play some. And, you know, we may have, uh, you know, Mr. Brown may or may not want him to play. Those things will all, those discussions will all happen as we get started and see, uh, see how he's progressing. That makes sense. That makes sense. When you got to watch him 
in the OTA period, obviously there's, there's some limitations on what you're able to see, what you're able to do when he was asked about the success that he appeared to be having in some of the seven on seven drills, his expectation for himself was, yeah, the ball shouldn't hit the ground when we're doing seven on seven drills. And there's obviously an element of truth to that, but were there any areas that really stood out to you that, that he's made strides despite having to come back from the ACL? I know there's been a lot of talk about the velocity and the arm strength. Is there anything else that stood out to you? Uh, I love the way that he attacked his uh, weaknesses over the course of the offseason. And what I mean by that is not necessarily physical weaknesses, but just what he learned over the course of his first 10 games as an NFL player, his first NFL offseason a real NFL offseason, even though he was rehabbing. But you get this, there's a, the ability to kind of step back, remove yourself from the emotion uh, of of the season, of what happened, uh, and really take a critical look at, at where you can get better, both decision-making-wise, um, processing-wise, how how he can generate uh, more of his brain power into our offense when he gets certain looks that he wants to get. So we spent a ton of time over the offseason just – really trying to focus on those things, you know, every year uh, for every year I've ever coached quarterbacks, you know, you always sit back at the end of the year when the off season program starts, when you're well removed from the season and you, you watch all the interceptions, uh, you watch all of the missed interceptions. So ones that don't show up as interceptions, but throws that sh- could have or should have been intercepted. And, and you kind of break down uh, the reasons why, what's the story? What, where, where were we off here? Was it a, was it play call? Was it scheme? Was it execution? Was it receiver? Was it footwork? Um, and every every litany of reasons you could have an error, uh, you try to look at and, and see where you can get better. And so uh, that part of his offseason was really fun, I think, for him to, to really critique the areas that he could improve. Um, and, and all players have areas they can improve, whether you're, you're going into your 15th year or your first year. Um, there's going to be things that you think you can get better at. Um, and those were the things that I was impressed with his his, his focus and attention to detail. I mean, his focus, as we all, as everybody knows now, is is kind of laser laser sharp all the time. And and it was no different this offseason. I mean, he was really dialed in to, to how he could he could move this offense forward um, better and more efficiently and effectively. And so that was really fun. It's also really fun for our listeners to hear Brian Callahan talk about Joe Burrow. We do a little bit more of that before we move on to the rest of the offense coming up next. Built Bar is the number one protein bar on the planet for a reason. Look, we're always trying to get in better shape. We're always trying to better ourselves. And if you're like me, you like to eat. You like midday snacks. And you need to try to find something a little healthier here and there. Built Bar is exactly that. Not only is it a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar because it's covered in 100% chocolate and they have nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor. But the best part about Built Bars is the macros. High in protein, low in sugar, low in calories, perfect for you. So check them out right now. I, I've got a lot of my friends on the Built Bar plan. And you, all you got to do, just go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. You're going to get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Brian, in January, it was... Right after uh, the season ended, Joe talked, and it was our first time hearing from him post-injury, and everyone's worried about the knee. And I remember asking him, how can he get better? And he was like, well, I, I got to improve on the deep ball. I have to be a better deep ball thrower. Mm-hmm. And I know part of that is arm strength. He wanted to increase his arm strength as well. Uh, at the time, I was like, man, he's he's 
rehabbing his knee and, and, and worried about, you know, throwing deep balls and, and getting stronger. And yet when we talked to different players in OTAs, that's all they talked about were, was arm strength and, and how strong he looked and, and all of those things. Did you notice that? And in, in your experience, has that happened before? Have quarterbacks gotten stronger at 24 years old and suddenly been able to throw harder and yet maintain their accuracy? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it, it doesn't, it shows up in different places for different players, you know, to say that it's, it's kind of an all encompassing when you say arm strength or velocity, those things all are a part of the equation. But I thought what was, what was really interesting about um, how Joe attacked his offseason from that regard is that he had a, a plan in place and he had some things fundamentally he wanted to work on. Um, and he went, he went and got, went and saw the guys that he works with and uh, he, he was kind of tinkers and, and, like all great players, you know, I, I always think of golfers in particular, but, you know, they, they always are looking for how do I get 1% better in, in my swing? How's my swing 1% better? How do I get five more yards of distance on, on this club? And how do I, how do I hit sand shots better? Like that's the best way I can describe it is that he was, he was kind of holistically working on his game. Uh, the velocity was a part of the things that he did that, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. The velocity part was really kind of a byproduct of all the other things he was doing to to help himself mechanically with his with his footwork and uh, his his core strength and his velocity and his mechanics. All those things uh, kind of came to fruition with the the velocity being the kind of the talking point. But you know he was working on all these different clubs, if you will. You know he's he's working on a sandwich. He's working on the touch ball. He's working on the deep ball. He's he was working on all these different things. Um, with with very minor adjustments and, and kind of to the naked eye, very minuscule things that that he attacked and, and it made a huge difference for him. And, and you know, he gained some strength in his upper body because he obviously couldn't lift his lower body as much during the offseason. Uh, and he gained some core strength and, and kind of more more pop in, in, in his legs and his hips as, you know, you're, you're rehabbing these muscles in your legs and, and you realize I, I could really be a lot stronger here than I was before. Um, so that, you know, it's kind of a holistic approach that kind of gets lumped in with the velocity commentary but really it was a everything was getting worked on and uh you know the different types of throws and velocity was one of them being able to throw it a little bit harder a little bit faster uh, being able to hold on to the ball maybe a split second longer so he could fit a window that was was coming open as opposed to uh, not open before so there's a long list of things that he improved on and his his uh intensity uh, about improving it was a thing that was really impressive that's something that I think we all saw coming with him, his general focus on the game. We've talked about it so many times and it gets tired, but it's just true. He he has that it factor, that drive to continue to get better. But there are players on this team besides the quarterback, as much as everybody wants to hear us talk about Joe Burrow. We could for, you know, hours, I'm sure we don't have that time today to, to spend on Joe Burrow. So let's transition and talk about his offensive line. Hakeem Adenogy unfortunately lost to an injury late in the week. The Bengals awarded the waiver claim of Lamont Gilliard, sorry, from the Arizona Cardinals and Georgia Bulldogs to add some depth at center. What's the overall feel for the offensive line going into training camp in terms of confidence level, both in the players you have and the idea that you know who the starting five is going to be at this point? Um, I got a lot of confidence in the guys uh, coming out of the spring. I, I was really impressed with some of the players uh, that we had brought in, uh, Riley Reef in particular. Um, you know, I like our young players a lot. Jackson Carmen, uh, I think, is I got high expectations for. Um, 
I think we're, I think we're a better overall unit. I think we're deeper. Uh, I think we have more competition. I think we have good veteran mix. I feel really good about uh, where our guys are headed. And I love, I, I love and believe in, in, um, in our coaching at the position too, with Frank uh, and Ben Martin. So I feel really good. Again, I think the, the biggest thing is going to be when the pads come on, we're going to find out really what we have. Uh, and then we actually get preseason games to, to evaluate it. And I think that's going to be critical for us because uh, we got competition at some spots, particularly inside uh, and, and guys that are, that are, that are fighting for, uh, for playing time and for jobs and uh, along the depth portion of our offensive line too. So I feel good about it. I'm very disappointed about Akeem Adenogy. Um That was, that's a, that's one that's uh, disappointing for me personally, because I had high, high hopes for him and his developmental trajectory that he was on. So uh, that's unfortunate, but you know, we got a lot of guys here that can, that can step in. And, and obviously we're still looking for, for pieces out there potentially, especially for depth, because we're still a little bit short numbers wise uh, as camp gets started. How, how frustrating was it being the offensive coordinator last year and having offensive line almost in, in your, these are my words, not yours, but hold you back a bit. I mean, it, it just seemed like you had to have quick, quicker plays. Everything was a little more, more limited. Are you confident that, because I think a lot of fans are worried that the offensive line could limit Jamar Chase, who they're excited about, right? Could limit the the return of Joe Mixon or T. Higgins uh, becoming that elite type wide receiver in year two. Is that uh, is that a concern? And how difficult was that last year if that was uh, was the case, which I, I don't know if you could say or not. Well, I think it's a challenge anytime that you're you're rolling through. I mean, we had we had some some injuries and guys rolling through. Uh, you know, that the Tennessee game was one that'll, that I'll probably remember forever where, you know, really were, you know, Mike, Mike Jordan comes down with, with the illness before the game, Quentin Spain gets here on Friday. And we, all of a sudden you look up and we're going against the Titans with, with ultimately a, a whole entire new line. Um, yeah. And I was, and, and so those, those things are difficult, but I will say this, when, when you're playing against the teams we have to play against, uh, particularly in the AFC North, you know, you got Miles Garrett and TJ Watt and, and you had Bud Dupree last year and, and Judon and, and the Ravens. I mean, you know, you, you have to, you have to, to scheme against those guys Period. Like there's, there's very few guys in the league that are going to stand there and just lock guys up one-on-one over the course of an entire game, uh, especially in, in known passing situations on third downs in your two minute drills. You know, there's always going to be an element of the game plan that's designed to help where help is needed. Uh, and you never want to let, uh, it's kind of an old adage now, but you never want to let their best players wreck your game. So you don't want to let, you don't want to put Miles Garrett in a position to ruin your game. You want to do everything you can to help against that player. Cause you know how good he can be uh, and how, how Im- Im- impactful his, his play can be in a game with a, a strip sack fumble in, in a, in a critical situation. And, and that's why those guys get paid that, that kind of money. And so uh, I wouldn't say it was, it was frustrating. I enjoyed the challenge of, of having to try to figure out ways to, to move the ball when we had a bunch of moving pieces. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hopefully some more stability this year with, with guys that have been in our system and, and are playing 16 games. I mean, obviously the dream is the same five guys play 16 games. doesn't usually happen that way, but uh, we got a lot of guys that we feel good about. And so I'm, I don't, I don't have any hesitancy about the, them holding us back in any way, shape or form. That's confidence that I think people will be very happy to hear, especially being as you're very detailed about the response. I think there's reason to potentially, you know, buy into that confidence if you're listening to the show. 
And if you're listening, we've got about 20 more minutes with Brian Callahan. So pace yourself, do whatever you need to do to make sure you catch all of this before training camp opens up. We continue this conversation coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL season is almost here. So if you want to bet on over-unders, maybe offensive rookie of the year, Chase and Chase, Jamar Chase, maybe he does end up winning offensive rookie of the year if Brian Callahan has anything to say about it. Plus UFC, MMA, maybe you got the NBA draft, which is this week, all of it in one spot if you want to bet at betonline.ag. So before the next Reds pitch or next draft pick, go to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and make sure you use promo code Locked On when you make that first deposit because you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus. Free money, baby! Again, betonline.ag, promo code Locked On. You're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You talked a little bit about getting 16 games out of a guy. Joe Mixon, set to be a featured player this year in this offense. I have a two-part question here. First, you've talked about, you know, he shouldn't come off the field on third downs. And and there's two parts of that. One of those is how does he fit in with understanding his blocking responsibilities? And the other one is how does he fit into the passing offense? So first is, has he made some strides since you've been in Cincinnati in terms of understanding his responsibilities as a pass blocker? And the second is, do you also enjoy watching Joe Mixon run choice routes? Yeah, that's the first one. First is that I thought that Joe Joe's progression over the over the going into year three now uh, in the pass protection has been very good, and he had a great spring. I was very 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 happy with what he put out there, his attention to detail in the, in the passing game. You know, and, and as a as a um, a younger player that that wasn't asked to do a lot of pass protecting early in his career, in particular, uh, I think he's answered that challenge well. And you know, I know I. I I didn't misspeak. I definitely stand by what I said. He is, he should never come off the field. The reality of it is, is he will come off the field at some point. It's hard to play every snap of every game at that position. Um, and so there, there's going to be times where he'll need a break. And sometimes those third downs are where you can build that in, especially when we had a guy like Gio, uh, who was so dynamic as a pass protector. Um, but Joe will be called on much more uh, and be involved much more uh, in, the, in the pass protection game and third downs. Um, and I, I think a lot of times of even, you know, a guy like Joe would, on the third and eight, sometimes those check downs for four yards end up getting 12, 15 yards in a first down. Uh, and all of a sudden he's on the field for, for 25 more of those than he was the year before. Uh, I'm talking about receptions on third downs. And, and now, you know, he's, he's climbing up in yardage in, in, in receptions and yardage as well as his normal load running the football. So I got really high expectations and a high standard for Joe uh, to be, to be very involved. Um, throughout the whole course of the season. And, and I think to answer the second part of your question, Jake, is uh, I think he's an excellent choice runner. And one of the cool things about uh, Joe is how big he is. And so when he goes to – if he gets a guy squared up and he steps on his toes, you know, he's a hard guy to, to get your hands on and cover. So he can cross somebody's face, you know, and because he's so big and strong, he's, he's going to be hard for guys to cover, particularly linebackers that, that are trying to play through him. So um, – he, he had a couple of good ones last year, and I expect that that route tree uh, for him out of the backfield uh, to grow. And, you know, one of the things that, that we got stuck last year, too, is we ended up in a lot of uh, second and longer situations. And, you know, I, the, the things that have, that make running backs really dangerous is 
when they get out of the backfield in the play action game and in the, in the play action screen game, uh, kind of on those second and, and mediums, those two to sixes where, you know, you kind of got the whole thing open to your playbook. Um, and he, he's, he's been proven. He's been very efficient and effective uh, in, in those things. So I'm excited about Joe. I know Joe's a guy that, that defenses really do fear, you know, because he's, he's hard to tackle. He's big and strong and fast. Uh, and, and we'll find plenty of ways to get him the ball uh, out of the backfield and in and, and all the different play action and screen game and all that stuff. So, um, you know, we, we split him out some last year. He's responded well to that. He's got good route detail. And so, he, you know, he'll be involved in the empty, empty package that, that we became so so good at over the course of the early part of last year. And um, I'm excited for, for his role. I think he's, he's a huge part of, of what our young core and, and what we're trying to build. Let's combine the, the past two topics, the offensive line and the running game of Joe Mixon. I don't know if anybody was more excited than Joe Mixon about the return of Frank Pollock. It, you voice your confidence in Frank. Where does that come from? Why are, are players so bought in? Because I sensed it. You could see it on social media. You're certainly confident in him. What does he bring to the coaching staff and, and to the organization? The biggest thing to me is uh, he, he's got he's got some – some pelts on the wall, if you will. You know, he played for a long time at some good teams in San Francisco, uh, but he was never like, he was never a superstar. So he kind of grinded his way through it, found ways to make teams. So he knows what those guys are going through. Uh, he has a really unique way of relating to them in that manner. He can, he can, he understands what it means to play offensive line in the NFL. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a, not a prerequisite, but I think it does go a long way. Um, and, and I just, I know, I know the detail and the uh, precision that he coaches with. You know, if a guy's if a guy's foot turned the wrong way, uh, if their hand placement isn't right, if a guy's six inches off his landmark, I mean, it's not the, the standard is higher than that, and it's got to be perfect. And um, he drills it that way, and he's intense and he's demanding. But I've always felt like, and this is kind of for coaches in general, uh, the guys that that players respond to the most are, are guys that they know uh, can can make them better. And they feel like no matter how hard it is or, or how much they may, maybe not just, you know, some guys don't always agree with the style of a coach, but they know that whatever, whenever they walk in the building, they're getting coached uh, with, with everything that they got. And they know they're going to be better for it and they're going to be better players. Um, and, you know, a lot of times they, the old saying goes, if, if you play good, they pay good. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the mantra that guys know if they're going to get better, they're going to have a chance to, to play better and make more money. And so, um, you know, I think Frank brings all that to the table. And I think those guys respond to it really well. Makes a whole lot of sense. You know, I'm realizing that we've been talking for about 25 minutes now and uh, we haven't talked about a wide receiver. I, I guess we, we mentioned <laughs> Jamar Chase before we started recording and, and how many touchdowns you're hoping to get out of him this year with the reunion with Joe Burrow. But before we start to talk about some of the shifts across the NFL that I wanted to ask you about in terms of the chess match between offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators, let's talk expectations for these wide receivers. You guys obviously went empty a ton last year, but you get CJ Uzama back and Drew Sample was used increasingly as the season went on. How do you balance having those two guys at tight end with three receivers that you always want on the field and a running back that you always want on the field? Uh, well, it definitely helps that we're an 11 personnel offense. That certainly makes it a little easier for our three receivers to get out there. But, you know, there's also, you know, there's there's times when we have to be, uh, you know, we'll be in some 12 and 13, you know, we'll, we'll put two and three tight ends out there uh, because I think that's a, that's a good group for us too. I, I love what CJ brings. Um, you know, I would say that we, we don't have a, 
a dominant Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller type tight end, but we got two guys that, that go in there and they grind it out and they block and they're willing and they're physical and they catch the ball well uh, and they're where they're supposed to be in the pass game. And, and you know, and they're fast enough to, to threaten vertically. They're big bodies. They're strong players. Um, I like that tight end group a lot. And so they'll all have, they'll have their roles and, and there'll be times when we put them both out there together. There'll be times when CJ's in there, every times when Drew's in there, but both of them can do uh, pretty much all the things that we would ask our tight ends to do uh, in the pass game and in the run game. And so it's kind of a fun, versatile group to have. They, they can do a lot for us. Um, and as far as the rest of them go, I mean, it's, you know, there's going to be 11, 11 personnel. We have three receivers in the field quite a bit, just like we have for the first two years. Um, and that, that's always going to be where we kind of hang our hat uh, for, for a lot of reasons. But uh, one of them being that those are probably our, our best players. You know, our, our most dynamic players are, are our one running back and our three receivers. And, and those guys um, are going to be on the field quite a bit. Let's uh, talk about Jamar Chase a little bit specifically. What, what stood, about, stood out about him during OTAs in minicamp that maybe you didn't know, that you didn't see on film or during the interview process that, that you didn't uncover? Um, he was a really uh, kind of a very straightforward interview. Um, he was, he's kind of got a quiet demeanor to him. Um, so it was, I didn't really get to know him, you know, cause we didn't spend a lot of time, you know, it's just the, the, the interviews over zoom are, are limited. And so just being able to be around him, uh, just his professionalism and the intensity that he works. Uh, he doesn't say a lot, you know, he's kind of like the rest of our guys. Like, they don't really say much uh, and they just go out there and they work and they work as hard as they can possibly work. And, and they know the standard for their room has, has only gotten higher. And, uh, you know, they had a great example for years with AJ here. I mean, AJ still is, his work ethic and his demeanor and how he went about his business is still, you know, one of the, one of the best of all time to ever do it. And so there's, there's a standard in that room over the course of history here in Cincinnati. Uh, and I think we got a bunch of guys that, that want to live up to that and, and uh, quite frankly, exceed it. And I think that the mindset is right in that room and the talent is right in that room uh, for, for a lot of really exciting things to, to happen for us. What does it mean for you as a coach, when you see a rookie like Jamar Chase, wanting to stay after practice. I mean, we know Joe Burrow demands a lot from his teammates and will set that standard for you to some degree, but what's your reaction to that when you see Jamar Chase staying after practice and getting those extra reps in? Uh, I think it, it just shows that he's he's what we had hoped he was going to be uh, as far as his, his makeup goes. And uh, he, he's all the reports that came back, all the things that Joe said about him were, where he's a, he is a top level worker and it, it's important to him and it means something to him. And it's, it is, he is all about ball and it is not for show. You know, this isn't, it's not, it's everything he goes out to do has a purpose uh, and he attacks it with, with the, the ex, with exactly how you'd expect a player of his caliber to attack it. He wants to be great and he works accordingly. Um, and so that's, you know, most motivation for these guys is always going to be, is going to come from within from themselves and the guys that have it, uh, have a chance to be really, really good players. Um, and he's got it. Was there as much debate behind the scenes, Brian, as there was front and center on TV and radio and on this podcast and on YouTube and everywhere about the fifth pick? Because, man, we it, it was like every interview we did when we had someone on, we had to ask, are you Team Sue? Are you Team Chase? Are you Team Pitts? How, uh, how crazy was that behind the scenes? Or was it as, as simple as uh, Chase is, is the best prospect, uh, you know, if he's there? Uh, I think at the end of the day, when you're, when you're sitting at a place where we were, 
at, and in the draft at five, knowing that there was going to be for sure two quarterbacks, probably three, maybe four that were going to go off in front of us. We had a really good feel for what would be available at our pick. And, and in fairness to, to all of those, but I think all the players that were, that were available there are going to be really good. Uh, Penesul, uh, Kyle Pitts, who obviously went before to Atlanta, but, um, and Jamar and, and some of the other guys that were in that conversation in that range, those guys are all going to be really good players. And so those are the debates that are, um, those are the debates that are kind of fun because you know that every one of those guys is going to be good and you're not really going to miss in that regard. You hope. Um, but those guys just everybody from everything that we saw from those players, we knew that, that especially those top three, it was really kind of Pitt Sewell uh, and Jamar at that spot in the draft. And, you know, these guys are all going to be really, really high level players for a long time. And we did our due diligence and, and there was, there's definitely guys that, that felt uh, really strongly about, all those, all those players and the debates that, that ensued were what you would, uh, if you're a fan, what you would hope would happen. You would hope that it was, it was thorough and debated. And, and we looked at all the pros and cons of every player. And, and ultimately, as, as we vetted through the process, we landed on, on uh, Jamar being the best player for us. And um, that's certainly no slight to, to anybody else that got picked before or after us. It's just, that's where we landed at the end of the day. But it was, it was, a, it was a healthy debate. It was what you would want it to be. Uh, and we vetted all those prospects um, from from top to bottom as good as you could vet them uh, to make a decision. And that's really all you can ask for uh, when you get to those spots and, and you, you you go with what what the process says and, you know, all the opinions when it's time to make a decision, everybody was on board and and that's how it works. And that's how to me, that's how good, healthy organizations function. Um, but we, we certainly had plenty of debate and and and, uh, you know, plenty of uh, of research on all those guys you know it was it was it was important for us to 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 do that right and uh make the right decision for the organization at the end of the day all those guys very well known going into mm-hmm. training camp you know we've talked about joe burr we've talked about jamar chase we talked about riley reef all these high profile guys who are the under the radar names for the hardcore fans. So you're talking to people that are listening to a Bengals podcast five days a week right now. Who are the under the radar guys for those people that you think they need to be keeping an eye on in training camp this year? Um, you know, the guy that, that has kind of gotten a little bit, he's probably not necessarily under the radar, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what Chris Evans does uh, with pads on in the preseason game. Uh, there's a lot of things about him uh, physically that and, and mentally that, that I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, you know, he's, he's still a young player. That's a six round draft pick. So he's got to prove it. Uh, he's got to do it. Um, Deontay Smith has been a really uh, pleasant surprise um, just in terms of his mentality, his work ethic, his physicalness. And again, we'll find out way more when the pads come on, but uh, Deontay was, was a guy that impressed um, that's, that's, you know, not quite as high profile as Jackson Carmen and he was a fourth round pick and all that. But um, those two guys, I'm, I'm really excited to see, how they rise when, when, when the, when, it, when the, the temperature heats up, you know, well, how do they fall here in, in three weeks, what do they look like? Um, you know, I think uh, the Puka Williams is a really, he's interesting. Uh, and again, he's a guy that we're going to have to find out more about as a guy with the ball in his hands. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say what he's going to be because, you know, he's, he's a unique, a unique set of skills that, that we have to find a, find a place for. And um, I do like him though. I think there's some things that, that excite me. Uh, he, he might be the guy that goes out there and, and rips it up in the preseason and everyone gets excited. You know, there's always those guys every year. Um, 
And then I think that the one guy that doesn't quite get enough credit uh, that, that has kind of been a consistent performer over his, his entire career here uh, is Auden Tate. You know, he's, he's been, he's been such a big clutch performer when we needed big, big catches and tough catches. Uh, he gets looked over in that receiver group, but, but don't, don't, uh, don't sleep on Auden Tate uh, and his ability to make an impact. Let me ask you about Auden Tate. Cause there are, uh, are, there's an Auden Tate hive and I just made that up like the hive part, like the nickname. I don't know what it is, but there are a yeah. lot of Bengals fans that certainly believe in Auden Tate. And, uh, you know, he's a big guy, he's, you, you know, he's not going to fool you for a Deshaun Jackson speedster downfield. Could he play tight end some? Cause I know there are some fans that were like, man, he would be great in that Kelsey role almost, or that Ertz role where they're splitting out. Is, it, why or why does that, why or why not? Does that make sense? Truth be told, we 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 used him in, in that in in a, a hybrid role like yeah. that last year in some some situations. Yeah. Um, ultimately, if you're not if you don't threaten much um, as a actual tight end, you don't gain the the matchups that you know when he goes in the field, they still treat him like a receiver. So they they put their little DBs in there, and so the advantage is when you have a guy like that is can you, can you use him as a real tight end? Um, and, and we found out that it's, you know, he's, he's a big guy, but he's not that big. And when you start talking about, you know, putting your hands on defensive ends and, and trying to cut people out, I mean, so those are the things that, that, you know, it's, it sounds good sometimes, but the, the reality is it didn't really gain us any advantage um, as far as the defensive structure. When, when he went, he's, they still treat him like a receiver. He did great. He's a tough physical Willing, I mean, he cut off Jadavian Clowney in the C gap on on uh, one of Geo's touchdown runs against the Titans, and um, it was one of the more heroic efforts I've ever seen a receiver have. But uh, he paid for it, you know. So uh, I don't. Sometimes those are, you know, he's still not a. He's not two hundred forty pounds. He's two hundred and twenty, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a. There's a big difference there for for that position. This reminds me of that video of Chad. You know, the mic up video of Chad trying to hit Ray Lewis. He's like, "Oh, Ray got me." He got me. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, I would say he got Jadavion, but Jadavion finished. Uh, it was, he paid the price for doing it. Oh yeah. Real quick before we let you go, Brian, I've been wondering about this for, for a while now. You see these articles come out late in the off season every year about some trends that some of the, the very observant folks outside of the NFL and the media notice. And a couple of the things that have been, more noteworthy lately are, are the transition from single high that I, I think I've talked to you about a little bit before to the, the late rotation of safeties from, from showing too high pre-snap to that late rotation to, to try to trick quarterbacks and a lot more bear fronts seem to be popping up around the league to try to combat the outside zone is, are those some things you're expecting to see more of this year or are we just late to catching on? And this was already happening quite a bit last year. No, not at all. I, I, I do not late to that. I think that uh, you're seeing more and more teams um, kind of play with these hybrid defenses, these three, four ish uh, on the ball back or force teams that that are creating these these bare fronts and these kind of hybrid under fronts and, and all these things. And a lot of it is there to stop the outside zone. And, um, you know, a lot of the things you see like the, the, against the Rams and the Super Bowl, New England kind of ran what we we turn like a, a six, one front where they, they're not really in a bare front, but they got you gapped out and, and leveraged kind of all the way across the front. Um, and you're seeing more of that. 
Uh, you know, the, the Bears did some of that to the Rams uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and, and you see kind of proliferating throughout the rest of the NFL teams that maybe uh, didn't do that stuff in the past um, are doing more of it now. And you see a lot of teams that, that kind of are adapting into the, the New England philosophy of, of, of finding a bunch of guys that, that, are, that are physical and stout and can set an edge of the defense and not get, not get pinned and contained and, and be able to kind of slow down some of the outside zone stuff. Because when you look at the, the, the numbers on the outside zone, that's kind of where explosive runs come from. And, and a lot of defenses really would prefer you just run the inside zone at them and, and they'll tackle it for four yards or, or less, hopefully for them. And um, you know, it's kind of a unexciting way of playing football, but they kind of like that. So um, I think the, the, and on the, and in the five man front rush patterns on third downs are seeing a whole lot more of, you know, where they're, where they're, where they're throwing backers, um, you know, mugged and, and in a line of scrimmage and, and the picks and the stunts and the games, those are really ultimately to me as a, as a, someone worried about protection, those are harder sometimes than actual blitzes because uh, those stunts inside are really difficult to pass off. Um, and they're really hard to technically get blocked and, all of a sudden when you got a three technique hitting the center and the side of the head and you're wrapping the other guy around, it's, it's hard to get all that passed off in time before the pocket collapses. Um, and so you're seeing more and more teams use that as a, as a, as a way to create pressure, as opposed to bringing, you know, big secondary blitzes and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and obviously every, every coordinator has got their, their mantra, but um, you are, you're definitely seeing more, uh, more five man type fronts and a lot more teams playing like five, big players in there too on, on base downs. Like, uh, you know, for example, like the, the Redskins played it and they, they put all five of those big monster defensive linemen in there uh, and they, they play a bare front and they make life really, they make it hard to run the ball. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a passing league, but, but still most defensive coordinators uh, are under the, the philosophy of you, you got to stop the run first. Cause if you don't stop the run, no one's going to throw it. And um, you know, you're seeing a lot more heavier, heavier fronts, heavier boxes to kind of counteract um, the, the proliferation of the outside zone or the wide zone to kind of come around the league. And, and you know, you're seeing these teams adapt too. You know, I think the, the Rams adapted. They, they started watching them. They want a lot more 12 personnel. They, they've leaned more into the gap scheme. Uh, the, the 49ers as well have, have definitely expanded their gap scheme repertoire. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's kind of the constant cat and mouse game. You play with the defenses, but I definitely think that the, the, the bear fronts and, and those derivatives of the bear fronts are, are definitely taking hold more across the league is more of a common theme as opposed to a, a game plan thing you see once every couple of weeks. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the surprises you have in store for the defensive coordinators that throw that at you guys this year. Brian, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate the depth of conversation every time we talk to you. Of course. I would like to kind of finish with one thing real quick, just to yeah. put it out there. Um, you know, I, I, the, the, I don't, he's not a Bengal. Uh, not, not many Bengals fans don't know uh, who he is, but Greg Knapp uh, just passed away uh, this afternoon. So uh, Greg and I worked together for three years uh, in Denver. And I just want to say it's a, it's a sad day for the NFL. He was well-loved and well-respected. He's kind of the, the godfather of quarterback coaches, if you will. I took a ton uh, from him and my time in Denver uh, just a wonderful human being. Very, very sad day for for people across the NFL. And, and if you don't know Greg, it's uh, it'd be, it, it's worth reading about him. And then the things that are going to start coming out here probably in the next uh, handful of days. He's he's a wonderful person, and it's, and it's really sad. So um, I just wanted to didn't feel right coming on air talking about football without 
uh, kind of tipping my cap to Greg and uh, on, on a sad, sad moment for a lot of people. Well, we appreciate that. Absolutely. It's a tragic situation for everybody that knew him and worked with him. And it sounds like he was really a fantastic person. And uh, I appreciate you sharing those words with us, Brian. And, and again, thank you for coming on and talking Bengals football with us as well. Always appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Looking forward to the next time. Always a pleasure to be joined by the Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator. Tomorrow, James and I are back. We've got you covered with all of the news coming out of the Bengals preseason media day. And we're expecting the Bengals to work out three offensive linemen on Monday, Austin Reader being one of those. So we'll find out how that goes and get you all that stuff tomorrow. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one.